Good evening. Here is the news. Welcome to Alone Together, Pandemic USA, an Eyes on the Street audio document about what it's like living in the United States during the COVID-19 pandemic. This is Episode 2, Day 16. I'm Jasmine O'Connell. And I'm Joe Scott. A little later in the show, we'll talk about the movies and TV series that we're streaming and watching. I'll have an update about Animal Crossing, maybe, And then we'll have an interview with someone who can give us some insight into something that we really care about um, and that has been seriously impacted by this virus, that small business, and also something that Joe really cares about, and that's comic books. I really do care about comic books a whole lot, Jasmine. That's true. Um, A quick full disclosure here. Um, We renamed the show. Pandemic USA is still our subtitle, but the main title of the show is uh, alone together. It's Pandemic USA kind of sounds like this hard-hitting journalistic show about the virus, which is definitely not what we're doing here. No. Um, not at all. I uh, <laughs> have never been a hard-hitting journalist. Um, this is just sort of a conversational show about what we're going through. Um, and that's why I like Alone Together, because I feel like a lot of people are starting to feel very alone right now. And one of the purposes of the show is to find the ways that we are all connected. So, um, what do you like the new title better than the old title? I think the new title is much better. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a very diplomatic way of saying that the original title sucked, and I appreciate you putting it that way. When we're alone together, diplomacy is very important. When we are alone together, diplomacy is very important. Um, so... We're going to dive into the question of the week, but before we do that, I'm going to give you one more warning. Um, I have a toddler who is, quote-unquote, napping in a room <laughs> next to us. Napping entails sometimes playing with toys, singing to herself, and uh, just chilling out, and that's totally fine. Um, don't parent shame me, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I got to do my thing. She's doing her thing. We're going to do our thing and have a good time. So the question of the week, Jasmine, is... Uh, is everyone starting to get a little batty right now? I think that it is safe to say that, yes, everyone is starting to get a little batty. You know, I, I think another way of saying that is that um, people don't have access to a lot of their typical coping mechanisms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing that people do to manage their anxiety in day-to-day life is go to the gym or spend time with friends or go see a movie, mm-hmm. or, you know, like, sing it out on their commute. And for most people, you can't do those things. No. Like, a few people are still commuting, but all those other things are really not an option right now. Yeah, everything's sort of off the board. And, you know, there was a very funny letter to the editor in our local town paper where a, a person I'll assume was just a gym bro was complaining about how our governor had just shut down the gyms. Like, this is the way people take care of themselves. 
this guy's just not up to the challenge of being the governor of our state anymore. You know, he was really serious. And, you know, the letter got passed around on social media, sort of a ha-ha, this guy's kind of dumb. But fair point. I think people do need the gyms. I'm missing the gym. I haven't been in there in three weeks. I typically go at least three to four times a week. and uh, At 4 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> at 4 a.m. in the morning, like a goddamn Batman. But um, I just can't. I just can't go right now. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to make up for it with the Wii Fit and, you know, jogging in my neighborhood, but I do miss the gym. So if you're missing your gym, that's okay. Um, you know, we talk about people going a little batty. Um, one person in my life who's starting to go a little batty is, uh, is my kid. Um, she is three years old, almost four. And she's been going to daycare for two years now, and I think she is now starting to miss her friends. Um, she'll specifically start like calling them out and saying, "Hey, can they come over here and play?" <laughs> like, <laughs> no, Mm-mm. no, they can't. And she was really sad about it two days ago, so I set her down on my lap and I tried to try to have some parent time and really try in my best way to explain this in a way that made sense to a three-year-old. I was telling her that, you know, there's people who are getting sick, and so we're staying away from people so everyone doesn't get sick. And I was like, does that make sense? And she's like, no. (laughs) No, To be fair, it doesn't make sense to a lot of grown adults. It does not make sense to a lot of grown adults. That is fair. (laughs) And, um, you know, just trying to explain that to her. um, But she's, she's... being a trooper and Mm -hmm. but I can definitely see it starting to take its toll on people you know people I message on social media just to check in you know they're starting to not take baths as much they're (laughs) starting to um, let certain things go their meal times are getting erratic Um, Mm -hmm. they're switching to nocturnal mode Mm -hmm. a lot of my gaming friends are just playing like 20 hour like campaigns before they crash for a few hours and then they're back on um let's just check in on each other and just make sure we're doing all right right now i that's what i would say but so uh on to our next segment which is status update um how are you doing uh what's up with you jammy so i uh i shared on the last podcast that i am working from home now so i do work um a full-time sort of office job, all that got moved to work from home. And um, it is, a, in normal times, a, a pretty intense job that requires a lot of focus and attention, and that has not changed. And um, I find that I'm spending just a tremendous amount of time on conference calls, in Zoom meetings, um, in WebEx meetings, in Go-to meetings, I um, due to a lot for a lot of boring reasons, I get to do all three right now. And I looked ahead to my schedule next week, and it's something like thirty-eight hours of like conference calls slash Zoom meetings in the next week. So um, that's going to be fun. <laughs> it's just going to be really terrific. So. Yeah, I, you know, I got a little taste of your life this week. I'm outside of my job. I've been working on a, a project called Masks for Our Heroes, where I'm teaming up with um, several local makers and crafters and logistics people to help create uh, 
PPE masks to protect a lot of our frontline healthcare workers um, as they try to tackle this uh, pandemic locally. And I had to participate in one of my very first teleconference calls. And I'll tell you that 30 minutes that I had on that teleconference call, and this is not an insult to anyone on that call. They were fine. But just the way it sort of makes you feel mentally, it it really felt like my brain was being put in a waffle iron. Um, And I can't imagine having to do that for 38 hours. (laughs) They're not consecutive back-to-back. I mean, you know, <laughs> you do get to sleep at some point in between. But, um, yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of great things about my job, and that's just how we have to interact right now. Um, I used to joke about how many meetings my job had, um, but a lot of those did tend to be face-to-face, and I, I used to joke about the face-to-face meetings, and now I kind of miss the face-to-face meetings, but... Um, it's definitely a a different thing to move that offline. I would say, you know, outside of that, um, things are pretty much the same. We're hanging out in the house, trying to find ways to stay engaged. Yeah. Stay busy. You know, I'm not trying to like give away too much of our personal business, but you know, we're kind of, before this happened, sort of homebodies. That's true. And so, you know, it's sort of like that occasion where they need one person with one specific gift <laughs> to save the country. It's like, we need you to stay at home and not go anywhere. And it's like, I'm ready. That's true. Like, put on the gloves, <laughs> you know, strap on the boots. Like, I'm ready. And then just sit on the couch and watch crap on Netflix and read books. Like, I've been training for this. Yeah. <laughs> they, they start playing Lose Yourself by Eminem. Got one chance. Dun, 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 yeah. 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 My job, um, you know, I don't want to get like way into the details, but my job is with a retail company. They run several locations. Once the government's like, hey, close down all non-essential businesses, my company complied. And the downside, the upside to that is that we're helping keep people safe. The downside now is that there's people who are facing uncertainties because of their jobs, because they're no longer able to do them, you know, uh, especially people who are on an hourly basis. And, you know, it's it just puts a lot of psychic energy into, you know, the atmosphere where we worked, you know, with a lot of bad feelings, a lot of people who weren't feeling great, who were feeling scared. Who are feeling upset, you know, and even angry, you know, and it's it's difficult to tell people, hey, this is a huge situation. We can't take it personally when there's nothing more personal than how you maintain your livelihood, how you feed your family. Um, You know, people are angry, really upset. And um, there was a little minute there where I was sort of on that bubble, too. But then things shifted around with the stimulus package not exactly sure everything that went on, but um, I've been giving till April 16. Like, that's when you are guaranteed to continue working. We'll see what happens beyond that, you know. And so, I guess we'll sort of stay tuned to this uh, intriguing professional <laughs> drama, um, you know. And it does feel like now I'm just sort of working with this giant axe hanging over my head, and you know, the challenge is 
focus on the work, ignore the X. Yeah. And it just sort of looms closer and closer. And, you know, I'll keep working. I'll keep trying my best to focus on the job, not the X, and hope for the best, you know. I, and I hope that those of you who are in the same situation um, can get through that. You know, I, fortunately, my company has great HR. They've said, hey, if you need to talk to anybody, we have uh, counselors that can talk to you on the phone. And um, they've been really great about helping people who who have lost their hours they need for their livelihoods to then apply for unemployment. But, you know, even that for some people just feels like a Band-Aid over a giant gaping wound. And, you know, when the numbers dropped, I think there was more than 3 million people who all applied for unemployment in America in one week. Mm -hmm. That's intense. By far the largest number we've ever seen in In the country. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot. And I think... um, you know, companies trying to figure out, it, it really is largely up to the discretion of individual companies to determine whether they're essential or not. So, you know, we're in North Carolina and, and the governor did put out an order requiring all non-essential companies, all workers who are not working in essential roles to not go to work anymore. So we do have a stay-at-home order. And I think it can be a little confusing. Is it a lockdown? Is it stay-at-home? What does that different stuff mean? But the bottom line is, if you're not an essential employee, you're not supposed to be going to work anymore. And we've definitely seen some employers here stretch what an essential employee and essential business is pretty far. You know, there's a company here that supplies like replacement China pieces. If you lose like part of your grandmother's China, they have all these like replacement pieces and you can get a replacement and complete the China set. And they decided they are an essential business. And it's just really hard to understand how that could be an essential business given the situation. So they've told all their employees that they have to come to work. And on one hand, you know, nobody wants to lose their livelihood and nobody wants to lose their business. But on the other, you know, that is almost certainly a close quarters working situation and it's not going to make the difference between, you know, getting people critical care or life services and not. Like, that's not a... a yeah. So it's, yeah, it, it's been a, interesting to see how different employers make those choices. And I think when we get through this, people are going to look back on that and make choices about where they work and which businesses they patronize based on how employers and businesses conducted themselves during this time. I mean, it's it's a tough situation, you know, and I know a lot of people who sort of operate under the assumption that these companies should be able to all close and then have the coinage in their coffers to continue paying their complete line of staff um, for five or six weeks. And, you know, especially like smaller businesses, they just don't have the money. It's not realistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and so when you see sort of this angry sentiment, and we, we'll talk about this later in the message, but it's just it's just not realistic. Um, you know, it's it's a challenge. But I wish that our governor... And, you know, just the people in charge maybe hired a marketing person, some sort of wordsmith, because I feel like the word essential and non-essential hurts. You know, you're telling someone you can't work because you're not essential. You know, that just hurts. (laughs) Hurts. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's like, I'm essential. I'm alive, damn it. <laughs> you know. But that's not what it means. That's not what it means. It's but, not yeah. what it means. But, you know, so we've got to work on our wording there. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah. me as a marketing person, I'm saying, mm-hmm. we, could, we could workshop that one a little bit. Yeah. Let's find a better <laughs> way to express that. For sure. Um, so if you have a status update, uh, give us a call um, and just leave a message telling us how you're doing, what's going on, what's going on at your work, what's going on if you are now out of work. Um, we want to hear from you. A lot of people want to hear from you. Uh, we put this call out last week, and ironically, I think because people hate calling people on the phone, um, I got a lot of texts with people telling me how they're doing. I'm not going to read those. <laughs> um, you have to call and leave a voicemail. Podcast is an audio medium. <laughs> yeah. You hear my voice enough. I don't want to read how everyone else is doing. Now for our next segment, as Jasmine said, we're huge fans of small businesses. Small businesses in not only Greensboro, but all of North Carolina have finally been given their marching orders this week to shut down if they are, quote unquote, not essential. This includes a business that, you know, for a while I thought was very essential to me, (laughs) um, a comic book store. And uh, so what I thought I'd do was interview the owner, one of the owners of my favorite comic book store, Selfish Greensboro, and uh, so I got Stephen Mayer on the phone, and uh, he gave us some interesting insights in how everything's going, so let's listen to that right now. All right, we're on the phone with Stephen Mayer of Sailfish Greensboro, a comic book shop located here in the triad where we're located. Um, So Stephen, um, just want to sort of set the story for everybody. You kind of got hit with two different events in the same week in your particular industry. The first was uh, a national story. Uh, What happened on the national level to uh, comic book shops this week? Um, Well, Diamond Comics Distributors, who's the exclusive distributor for Marvel, DC, Image, IDW, Boom Studios, Dynamite, um, they announced that they were no longer going to ship new releases to comic book stores so everything that's on already at their warehouse is not going to ship out and they were not going to accept any new product from any publishers or or toy distributors or other vendors either which left us in the position of immediately cutting off the business that's about 70 percent of every comic book store's regular weekly day-to-day month-to-month business because you really can't get a lot any mainstream books from anybody but diamond right correct and the situation there is that diamond is technically classified as a magazine distributor because they're doing technically monthly periodicals and there are other magazine distributors there's just no one else that does anything with 97 percent of the comic book business yeah, so that really um, that really means that I guess starting April first, you guys have no new comics to sell. Correct. Are you selling comics right now? Uh, I'm actually selling a trio of action figures to somebody that came by to see us today before we have to close tomorrow at five p.m. And I guess that's the next story that leads us into the next thing, which is. Uh, why do you have to close uh, tomorrow, which would be uh, Friday at 5 p.m.? 
because yesterday, for the safety of the community, the Guilford County government, as well as the city council and mayors of High Point and Greensboro decided to issue a stay-at-home order, which finally closed all non-essential businesses in yeah. in the county. Yeah, when I talked to you about this yesterday, you uh, were taking this uh, somewhat positively, and you, you shared a little bit of information that you know I didn't expect necessarily, but it made sense. So, um, why is this actually a good thing for businesses in some ways? Well, I think that shutting everything down that's non-essential puts everybody in the same boat, whereas comic book stores in California have been closed for over a week already. And so they weren't able to get their new product on Wednesday like we were or make anything off of it. And, you know, even on the local level, we had already been in contact with our landlord and they weren't issuing any concessions. Even though comics were ceasing shipment, they weren't offering any concessions because we were still open for business. But now with everyone that's non-essential in the same boat, that puts us in a better place of like, well, what are any of us supposed to do? We can't just start selling something else. We can't sell what we already have. We're all shut down at this point. And also on the national level with people being shut down, Previously in California and stuff, they were getting access to small business administration, first come, first serve release, whereas we weren't available for that until I think on Monday this week, which put us in the position of being last in line to get any kind of federal assistance at that point. Yeah, so if I guess they'd acted sooner and really worked to get the businesses sort of on notice that they would likely have to shut down, um, that would have allowed you guys to get assistance a lot quicker and, and have a better chance of uh, being eligible. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that on a you know a national level, I think a national response would have been more effective in containing everything. <laughs> I guess it comes down to a, a state's right issue and and things like that that you know are just they are but you know hopefully the the actions go through uh and everything's productive and you know at the end of the two weeks we're since we're kind of last in line at this point behind you know a lot of the western states the more populous states like new york and illinois that you know at the end of this we're coming out on the other side of the curve yeah, yeah. You know, um, I think one thing, too, and I don't know the details about your situation, but when I owned a business, like, commercial rent is high. I mean, a lot of people, I think they look at their house and they count the square footage, and they look at a business and count the square footage, and like, yeah, so this must be the same. But actually, like, commercial rent, depending on where you're located, is uh, way more expensive, and yeah, a lot I of mean, landlords still want that rent in the in the position that we're in you know just roughly in Greensboro I would say even though residential rent might seem high you're really talking about probably two or three dollars a square foot per year and then once you get up to uh, 
office space rent, you're talking about seven to ten dollars a square foot. And at least in Greensboro, for like our kind of space, you're talking about fifteen to twenty dollars a square foot per year for rent. Yeah, and a lot um, of commercial landlords in this area, they've not really expressed a willingness to budge. You know, they're like rent is still due, rent is still due, but now that the city has declared that, hey, like mm-hmm. these businesses can't mm-hmm. operate, then they can't really uh, expect you guys to be paying rent, one would think, right? Yeah. And, well, I guess that's probably something that's going to be contested throughout the country. And, again, you know, there there have been steps that have been taken in other countries like Spain where they put a moratorium on credit and mortgages and things like that so that people can rest easier as the first of the month approaches. And there hasn't been any declaration of any kind like that. So I have sympathy for the landlords and the property owners because they're up against, in theory, the exact same walls that we are where yeah. somebody's coming to them and saying, all right, this is due on the first, and they're expecting their income to come in at the same time. So I do have sympathy. But, again, on that higher level or with clarity from the state, the federal, the local level, to tell them it's going to be okay, you know, this is how we need to proceed for now, then they're in the same boat we are to some extent. Yeah, you know, and – as we were talking about this, it didn't really dawn on me until just now, but like, you know, our president is a, uh, he's a property developer. He's a landlord. Our, yeah. uh, our president's son-in-law, who is very influential member of his cabinet, is a landlord by trade. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, they might be a little reluctant to uh, weigh in on uh, rent and, uh, and things like that, just because that's part, a huge part of both of the business models. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I, you know, we don't know for sure. That's just me speculating. I'm not trying to get you into a political conversation here, but um, yeah, I guess. But um, um, one other interesting fact: um, you opened a comic book store this week. This week, you yeah. opened a comic book store. How did that go? Um, it it went. You know, we made money each day, which is something we hadn't done in the month that we had had the keys to the property before. But we were, you know, in a position where we signed that lease in October and then the upfit on the space began and we got the keys in mid-February. And certainly in mid-February, we never thought things would get to this point. And, uh you know, in October, we never could have imagined that we would be at this point as a society. So we were just, you know, making the best of it the whole way through and knowing that this was our, what ended up being our first week of new comics is also our last week of new comics put us in an awkward position, but just making the best of it, we wanted to give people a chance to see what we had put together for them and kind of get a preview and, we'll be ready to go down in Concord when we're able to again. Yeah. Yeah. You guys posted a a hilarious photo where you recreated the scene from Titanic where uh, the, uh, the band on the deck of the ship uh, continued to play their instruments as the ship went down. Yeah. That was less about, uh, about opening the new store really. And more about, we have to do something every week 
where we lock in our orders on Monday for product that's supposed to be shipping in about three weeks. And so, you know, not knowing when that product was ever going to ship or if it was ever going to ship, it just felt like a totally futile act. But, you know, as long as they're telling us the orders are due, then we're going to keep on doing them and hope for the best. In the same way, I'm working on our March initial order for products that are supposed to be shipping in May right now as as we speak. And I'm going to upload that tonight and just hope that, you know, maybe something will come out by May or June or whatever else down the line. But just trying to maintain as normal of a routine as we can. Excellent. Um, one of the things we try to do here on uh, Alone Together Pandemic USA is really focus on uh, the positives. And what are you doing right now? You, you sound fairly positive for someone who uh, whose whole business has been kneecapped as of uh, tomorrow. Uh, what are you doing right now to, to stay positive, to keep your head in a good space? Uh, let's see. I've saved up the issues of Star Trek Picard since uh, episode three. So I'm going to catch up on that with the finale coming out today. There's still new episodes of Star Wars Clone Wars coming out on Disney+. Plus. They reintroduced Ahsoka last week, and with the news that Rosario Dawson is going to be playing her in The Mandalorian, makes me even more excited for one of my favorite (laughs) characters. we have a Lego Batmobile here at the store that I'm going to take home with me and take apart and put back together. And I just ordered a Lego Millennium Falcon. So putting together things like that to give me a release in this time and also, you know, getting ready to take advantage of whatever we can from the final CARES Act uh, as more information becomes available once it passes the vote in the House of Representatives, and we're also moving as we speak. Jay and Brett are going out to our van and moving a lot of our Amazon and eBay books out. Uh, to take Jay and Brett are your uh, co-owners, by the way. Yeah, yeah, my business partners, yeah. They're moving stuff out into their van to move into my basement to try and keep as much of our mail order operation going while I'm homebound as possible. So trying to trying to work it from all angles and make the best of it but you know like I said now that we're kind of all in the same boat I feel much better about it I think that and as the country all becomes you know into the stay-at-home mindset uh, I think that there was some resentment out in the world where some states were confined and those people were getting upset at the rest of us that were still going out and going to work and, you know, propagating the problem as they saw it while they were making sacrifices. But now that we're all making the same sacrifice, I think we're going to see more sympathy throughout the throughout the industry, throughout the country, and hopefully throughout the world. All right, then. Well, it sounds like you are still pretty busy, and I guess you're kind of locking in everything you can before uh, you're forced to close tomorrow. So I'm going to let you get back at yep. it, Stephen. But uh you know, best of luck, and uh, maybe we'll call a little later and check in on you guys and see how things are going. Where can people go really quick uh, just to get uh, updates and see how you guys are doing? Uh, we have our Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter. That's all 
Sailfish, S-S-A-L-E-F-I-S-H-G-S-O, that we'll be updating regularly throughout the process. And you can also go to our website, sailfish.com, which has links to our Amazon and eBay stores and other exclusives and our Comic Hub page where you can continue to browse our entire inventory and get mail order shipments with free shipping over $25 as long as you'd like. All right. Well, best of luck, Stephen, and take care. All right. Thanks, Joe. So now to our next segment, which is what we're streaming. And uh, we managed to catch a few things this week. Um, The first was uh, a new movie. You know, they're starting to just take movies that have been in theaters like less than two weeks ago and putting them on streaming. And uh, we caught a movie that I was actually interested in seeing in theaters, but I was too afraid to go and see. It was The Way Back starring Ben Affleck. I think it's like his third comeback movie because he (laughs) keeps sabotaging his own career with personal stuff and uh, the decision to play Batman in an awful movie. Um, Don't at me, all you uh, (laughs) Snyder fans. But um, this is sort of his comeback movie, and it's a movie about a comeback. He plays a former championship um, all-star basketball player from high school who's grown up. He's an alcoholic. He's working construction jobs. Life's not going that great. He gets hired by his old high school to coach their team. Uh, what did you think of this movie, Jasmine? Um, so I had forgotten that we watched this movie less than 24 hours after I saw it. Um, kind of a memento effect. Yeah. <laughs> Should tattoo the movie's plot on your body? I mean, so I'm definitely not going to do that. But I think that's sort of a bad sign when the movie is that forgettable because it was definitely going for sort of this working class, um, sort of like a a working class, you know, story of someone who lifts themselves up and makes themselves better. And I think it's supposed to be inspiring and it's definitely not good enough for this, but I think it had some awards aspirations. Just it was based definitely on, aspirational. Yeah, based on the content and some of the plot pieces in it, but it was just not that good. To me, it was almost sort of like the B movie knockoff of Ben Affleck's younger brother's movie, uh, Casey Affleck's film, Manchester <laughs> by the Sea, for which he won an Oscar. Um, where it was sort of a very similar story told in a very similar tone and manner, you know, and it's interesting because I think they really tried with this basketball movie to sort of strip some of the tropes of sports movies. There were no like montages of people like training. There was no like slow motion, like last shot to beat the clock, nothing like that. Um, You know, the way the games would play out, like, he would give them like the advice they needed to win the game, and then the scene would stop with just like a freeze frame and the score from that game. And um, it was sort of a deconstructive way of approaching uh, a sports movie and what that can be. But uh, yeah, you're right. It was it was largely um, not memorable. And um, yeah, I I definitely like Ben Affleck in it though. I thought he was good. You know, what do you, I mean, do you at least remember Ben Affleck in the movie? (laughs) You asked me halfway through that movie whether I liked 
Ben Affleck or Matt Damon better. And then I started to get confused about which one of them was in this movie. So I may not be the best person to <laughs> ask <laughs> about that. Well, <laughs> You thought that Matt Damon was Marky Mark. Like, is that the one in the underwear ads? It's like, no. True. I mean, you know, at some point, all of these, you know. These white guys from Boston? Yeah, all these white guys from Boston start to feel a little bit interchangeable. But um, I think it was a serviceable movie that had aspirations beyond what it was able to achieve. Yeah. You know? And I did not see Manchester by the Sea. But what it did sort of remind me of and what it felt like it was reaching for was a movie called Patterson that had Adam Driver from a few years back. And hmm. it has sort of a um, similar feel, very different content, but Patterson is about this working class man who is writing poetry and it has sort of a similar sense of like, Someone out of a working class environment trying to reach for something else, make themselves better. And um, that is a movie with a lot of elegance and beauty. And this is a movie that wanted to have elegance and beauty. And just, I think the writing wasn't quite there. I think the direction wasn't quite there. Like, I just think it was missing some pieces. I think the film could have used a younger director. Um, hmm. The person who directed this movie, he's he's a, a veteran of uh, a lot of sports movies. Um, he's mm. been directing movies. This includes uh, the hockey film Miracle, starring Kurt Russell. Mm. Um, he also, I think his name was Gavin O'Connor, the director. He also directed uh, this MMA movie starring Tom Hardy that came out a little while ago. And um, yeah, I would say that it needed a little bit more of a distinctive voice visually. Um, the other thing I will say is I thought the characters of the young men on the basketball team were a lot more interesting than the main character. So I was actually wanting to know more about them and less about this drunk old white guy. So <laughs> I, I felt like the focus was really uh, in the wrong place. <laughs> I, I feel like they could have they could have given more of a at least – a supporting character POV to one or two of these characters. Mm -hmm. You know, honestly, like, the sports movie works. Why are we trying to break all of its tropes? Mm -hmm. Go ahead and get into it. You know, show some of the kids on the team struggling, like, with their own challenges, their own goals. Like, that's sort of how you make these movies. It doesn't need to be the the alcoholic Ben Affleck show. Um the other thing I will say is that I felt like the reason they gave, and I'm not going to give any spoilers here, but the reason they gave for why he is a broken man felt very trite and easy to me. When they reveal that, it feels like, of course. Only to be outdone later by the triteness of why he sort of stumbles back into some of his uh, problematic behavior. I'm like, oh, this just feels... Both really? you're right, both of them. Like yeah. all of it is just like it just feels very Yeah. Wrote. Yeah. Yeah. Um one thing that we also streamed this week that we liked much better than that movie was uh I guess probably the most important show on Facebook right now. <laughs> um we watched all of Tiger King. Yes. We we dipped our toe in, loved it and dived right in. <laughs> um Tiger King, uh for those who haven't seen Tiger King, and that might be very few people now, but uh, Jasmine, what's Tiger King about? So 
It's important to note that when we were watching it yesterday, it was number one in the U.S. on Netflix. Tiger King is a limited documentary series on Netflix about people who own big cats. This is tigers, lions, ligers, etc. in the United States. And it focuses on a man named Joe Exotic out of Oklahoma and his ongoing feud with a woman who owns Big Cat Rescue in Florida. And um, there was, Joe Exotic was convicted of trying to take a hit out on Carol, had a, a long time sort of vicious feud with her. But this sort of unfolds because the personalities involved with sort of keeping these big cats and these independent, I almost hate to use the word zoos because I feel like that runs down zoos. <laughs> zoos, yeah. uh, In these sort of sideshows um, are just, they're big personalities with a lot of weird stuff going on in their personal lives. And so as these documentaries unfold, there's just a whole lot to dive into with them. Yeah, yeah. I really did not expect to see everything that happened in this in this series happen. Like, you know, we talked about how it might be important to avoid spoilers, but honestly, I feel like this is an unspoilable show. I could tell you 10 things that happened in the course of the series. And that leaves another 30 (laughs) plot points on the table. Like this is just chock full of the complexity of human behavior. Mm -hmm. This is a very peculiar case study where I feel like, having these lions and these tigers in the lives of these humans almost made these humans start to behave like these creatures in very predatory ways, in ways where you have one male lion and then they've got a pride. They've got several partners. There's a lot of a polygamy, polyamory, poly whatever you want to call it um, going on um, with these characters. And, you know, it's interesting because of all the characters in the show, Joe Exotic takes the biggest fall, for sure. But I felt like he was also the most earnest character mm-hmm. and the most honest. Um, the, one of my favorite lines in the movie is where he just flat out says, like, hey, I, uh, you know, like, so-and-so has their cult. I've got my cult. And he's admitting it, like, these guys are kind of running cults. Each and every one of them are running their own cults. And, you know, it, it sort of also hits on this idea where a lot of people in their own mind, they think of themselves as the hero of their story. Or in this case, these I think these people think of themselves as superheroes. When really, truthfully, in their, all of their own ways, they were all sort of villains in sort of a low-rent Batman movie. Um, every single one of them was uh, capable of very dubious sinister behavior. You know, it was interesting to me because I have actually been following Big Cat Rescue on Facebook for a long time because I like cat content. And so I was sort of predisposed to think that Big Cat Rescue was a good thing and a good place and run by good people. And as the documentary unfolded, my opinion definitely shifted. I think nobody comes out of this documentary looking that good. Yeah. Um, I, I think one of the things that you clearly see is that all of these people involved, um, nobody is really focused on the preservation 
of these animals in the wild. They are all super focused on their weird little zoos Mm -hmm. right around their houses. (laughs) These roadside attractions. Yeah, and and sort of like they're just tinkering around the edges. Oh, I'm better than you because I don't breed, or I'm better than you because of this perspective. You know, like it's just tinkering around the edges, but nobody is looking at the perspective of these animals should be in the wild and we should protect their wild habitat. That's not anyone's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like there was sort of almost this undertone of class consciousness there too, because Carol is sort of, she is a multimillionaire heiress, essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, She inherits all of her former spouse's money through ways I won't spoil. Mm -hmm. I'll keep all that quiet. But um, there's a lot of evidence that points to some crazy stuff there. But... You know, she's sort of looking down on Joe Exotic um, because he breeds animals and he only pays his employees like $150 a week. Meanwhile, you find out that, you know, she keeps animals in much smaller, poorly tended cages. And she also doesn't pay any employees because everyone works for free. Mm -hmm. The same amount of hours, just no pay because... Her mission is so righteous mm-hmm. that these people don't need to be paid to work on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was very interesting. It almost reminded me of a of a Coen Brothers movie, just brought to life. I could see that. A couple of things that jumped out at me. One is that they said that the cost for a like a tiger cub is two thousand bucks, which is what. I've looked into it like a golden doodle or a labradoodle from a reputable breeder is about $2,000. So pretty shocking to me that like a sort of designer dog, if you need a hypoallergenic designer dog. Now I'm not, I don't know if that's a reasonable price for a dog, but that is what it costs if you're looking for a dog like that. You could get a tiger for the same price. Like to me, that's insane. It's, it's just mind blowing that they're that accessible to people who want to get them. Yeah. And that just doesn't seem right. Yeah. Um, The idea that there are more tigers in the United States than there are in the wild is really depressing. The other thing that kind of jumped out at me is there's one player in this documentary that the documentarian spends a little bit of time with. Now, there there are all kinds of crazy people in this documentary who you get the sense have done some crazy stuff and are – like not people you would want to be best friends with. They're kind of backstabby and um, throwing each other under the bus, all kinds of different ways. But there's one person in this documentary that he spends a little bit of time with and then you don't ever see that person again. And it almost feels like he decided that this guy was just too dangerous to like dig into his past or do any sort of like he digs way into everyone else's past and he like talks to this guy for five minutes and then just backs away, which I thought was really interesting. Like maybe a, a considered choice on the part yeah. of the people who who were doing the documentary. Yeah, the, the Tony Montana type, yeah. the guy who was very reminiscent of Scarface. <laughs> yes, and like you know, sharing biographical details of his life. Like I'm from Cuba. I did this. I did that. And you're <laughs> like, I mean, the minute I saw him, like this person has witnessed the death of a human being caused by his own hand Mm -hmm. and then he basically more or less confirms it yeah Yeah. i have killed someone it's yeah yeah, i Mm -hmm. would not want to be spending a lot of time with him either Mm -mm. um 
Yeah. Um, another thing we watched that a lot of people probably have not seen, we watched uh, a few episodes of uh, the FX series Baskets, um, starring native North Carolinian Zach Galifianakis. Uh, Baskets, first off, I want to say it's great a great time to have Hulu. They've just added basically the entire FX uh, network catalog to their platform. So that is a lot of great content. A lot of great shows came out on FX. Um, Legion's awesome. What We Do in the Shadows is awesome. Uh, but one of my favorite shows, Atlanta is awesome. But one of my favorite shows is Baskets. Uh, primarily because of uh, the performance of uh, Louis Anderson. Louis Anderson plays Zach Galifianakis' mom. And he doesn't play his mom as a person in drag or as a trans person. just plays as biological female and it's such a compelling performance for me and i'll tell you the reason why i'll just go ahead and say uh, it just reminds me of my grandmother um who i can't see anymore because she passed away and um so it's been very comforting for me to sort of visit my grandmother through uh louis anderson by watching this show and you know, it's it's just such a very fun, slapsticky show. The plots are very sort of peculiar, but sweet and tender. They did a Christmas special um, in the previous season that ended with everyone eating at Arby's that I just thought was so, so precious and endearing. But I, I really love the show. It's um, So I'm, I'm glad that I get to catch up with some of that right now, even though I don't know. Anyone else who's watching Baskets? I've never met anyone who's like, yeah, I also watch Baskets. It's just me, I guess. But I enjoy this show a lot. I have, so I have a little bit of mixed feelings about Baskets. I've been watching it with you. I am not sure that I appreciate the casting of Louis Anderson as much. I think it would have been interesting to see an older woman receive that part because that is a constant challenge to see parts be given to you know older women in that way but he does do a great job in the performance and it is not played for laughs in any way whatsoever um christine baskets is such a strong character yeah a hundred percent what i will say is that every time i watch an episode of that it does draw me in it is a quirky show um, with a lot of sort of weird people as characters <laughs> doing stuff that doesn't really make any, they run a rodeo yeah. and it's just, the whole thing is really strange, but, um, in an appealing sort of soothing way. So I feel like it's a good show for these times actually. Yeah. Yeah. I always say, um, in these challenge in challenging moments in our lives, it's always good to find the light where you can. And that's a very, it's a very light show. What I would say is if you are someone who has watched all of Shit's Creek and you can't rewatch it anymore without just being bored with it, maybe give this a shot. Yeah, I think that's a solid recommendation. Mm-hmm. Very, very similar in tone, I mm-hmm. think, for sure. So, all right. So, Animal Crossing, you've been playing it now for two weeks. It's, I want to say first off that it has to be the most perfectly timed release in the history of video games. <laughs> you could not have release this game at a better time like people have had nothing else to do but play this game how are you doing now jasmine 
So it's growing on me. I've been persistent. I've played it. Um, I did feel really validated by an article that came out in Kotaku recently where they said it just straight up was a frustrating game to play. And it is a little bit frustrating because you don't always get a lot of scaffolding or hints in game. Um, One thing that helped me a whole lot was just talking to my 17-year-old son about how to play it. Um, He's been playing. He's way better than me in every way. Um, he will absolutely time skip his switch. He will, um, find out all of the like ways to like hack it and get ahead and do all the things. Um, and I haven't done any of that, but, um, just sort of plugging along and it's sort of a nice soothing thing to do for an hour at the end of the day. So uh, I like it. I don't know that I'm a super fan, but it's, um, it's a sweet game and, uh, yeah, I, I, I would I would recommend it. I wouldn't spend like your last what sixty five bucks on it or whatever. But yeah, I, you know it's been described as a sandbox game, and I would go one step further. I feel like it's a Zen garden game. Yes, I think that is a fantastic description. You know, you take the sandbox, but then you, your goal is to really get everything sort of smooth into nice, neat little rows, and mm-hmm. really just develop it there. It's it's a digital bonsai tree, mm-hmm. and it's relaxing to watch you play. It helps me go to sleep at night as opposed to reading scary news on my phone. Mm-hmm. I watch you play this game and pass out on the couch, which uh, has been the perfect nightcap for me. So, I will say it is very repetitive. You see a lot of the same dialogue over and over again, and um, you know that can be soothing or that can be annoying. And so I, I would say if it's feeling a little bit annoying, it's probably worth like looking up some of that. How do you skip through things faster and, and get through some of that? Yeah. Now for our final segment of the day, a bit of advice. So my bit of advice is to go to the produce section of the grocery store first. And I'll give you a couple of great reasons why. Actually, three. So the first one is... I feel like a lot of people are survival shopping, so they're buying a bunch of non-perishable goods. Those are full of preservative, um, which, you know, if you're sort of worried about the mental game of sort of dealing with all of this uh, isolation right now, it's probably not good to just also eat a bunch of junk food. So it's good to get healthy food. Um, Another great example, another great reason why um, I would say go to the produce section first is because there's fewer people there. (laughs) You know, you can really avoid the huge crowds by going where the apples and the fruit and the vegetables are. Um, But then the third reason is this, and this is where it gets a little bit more selfish. Um, They have produce bags. And if you're like me and you didn't bring gloves to the grocery store, you can go and just grab a produce bag, slap that thing over on your hand, and then you can go shopping with a produce bag (laughs) as sort of a makeshift glove. It may look um, a little janky, but... You know, it's definitely helpful in that way. And um, all of those things happen if you just go to the produce section first. So uh, what advice do you have for everybody, uh, Jasmine? So for my birthday, you gave me, as sort of a joke, a box of Smarties, of 200 rolls of Smarties. Yes. And Smarties, uh, I think everyone knows what these are. These are candy. It's little rolls of, like, chalky candy. And I love Smarties. I do. So much so that it can be a little bit of a problem. And when you bought this box, 
of 200 rolls of Smarties. Neither one of us anticipated that I would be in the house with them 24 (laughs) seven. We thought I would be leaving the house for long periods of time and I would be away from the Smarties and not be around them all the time. But alas, I'm around the Smarties all the time and I have been eating them nonstop. I think I am probably like 45% Smarties by body weight at this point. (laughs) Yes. So my advice to people is do not buy giant amounts of your favorite candy or cookies or other treats because it is just so hard in these times to not just completely go nuts with them. So buy the small bag of peanut butter M&Ms or the small bag of Oreos or the small bag of Smarties. That's my advice. Yeah. The- treats are good, but but go go with the small bag. Yeah, I really didn't mean to uh, just load you out with a bunch of candy right before no. the virus hit. I'm sorry. It's been disastrous. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. You know, it's... it's it, was fu- it was funny when I got it. Yeah. 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 It was because it was just like a heavy box of Smarties. It's a, a ridiculous box of Smarties. I probably should have hid it in the trunk of my car. Probably, but it's too late now. And if you try to take it away, there's going to be a huge problem. <laughs> Okay, then I'll uh, I'll leave you to it. <laughs> okay. But I will not order another box of Smarties. Please do not. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you guys for listening to our show. If you want to share a status update, if you want to talk about what's going on, if you want to share what you're streaming, if you just want to say hi, uh, give us a call on our voicemail. Uh, that's 336-355-7180. And just say what's up. Um, Hope you guys are keeping your hands clean and just staying positive in the ways you can and looking out for each other. See ya. See ya. start again we'll just go in from the top from the top we want to go in from the top yeah let's do it pretend all my jokes that i've made all my quips are fresh (laughs) okay i always that's what i do all the time (laughs) (laughs) all right